Welcome to the Morning Upgrade Podcast with Ryan Cote, where we feature casual conversations with entrepreneurs about personal development and growth. Hey, Terry, welcome to the Morning Upgrade Podcast. How are you? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. These are going to be a great 15 minutes that we're going to spend together. Just so my morning, my my audience of morning upgraders know who's uh, know who they're listening to. Why don't we start off by you introducing yourself? You know who you are, what you do for a living, and then maybe one thing that's going well in your life right now. Sure. So I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. I I am uh, born and raised in Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. After I graduated, I moved home to, you know, find my first job. I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And, you know, I look back now and realize kind of what a knucklehead I was to think I knew anything about business. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, uh, the fast food chain. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years to help my mom care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In terms of my professional careers, I said I was in marketing as a hospital administrator. Then I did a major pivot, became a police officer and worked undercover narcotics. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I started my own school security consulting business. Uh, I was a girls' high school basketball coach when we lived in Texas, been a motivational speaker and author. But for almost the last 10 years now, I've been battling a very rare form of cancer. And uh, finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one daughter who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. A lot of different things. That's amazing. Well, what, 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 if you look back at your whole career, what lit you up the most? Being a cop. I love being a police officer. It was something I always wanted to do. My my grandfather, uh, my paternal grandfather, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So I was in Chicago during the height of Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed during the Great Depression, and you know when all the gangs, Al Capone and those guys were were shooting up the town, and was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. And you know when I said to my dad, "Hey, I'd like to go into this line of work," my dad was like, "Oh." You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids. <laughs> my dad had my whole life planned for me, but it was the life my dad wanted me to live, not the one that I felt I was supposed to live. So what did he say when you joined? He died before I died. He, he did that. I, If you look at kind of my resume, my first two jobs are business related. When I graduated from college, he was dying of cancer. And so mm-hmm. I had a choice. You know, I could go blaze my own trail, say, sorry, dad, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or out of love and respect for him, I could do what he wanted me to do. And I did. I I did that. He and my mom really kind of set a very high standard in terms of the importance of family in your life. And so, you know, I I was there to help him. And, you know, I sort of joke. I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away. And then I followed my own dreams. So when you were on the force, I'm just curious, um, you're a cop. I'm sure you were in a lot of hard situations, like very, uh, a lot of fear and stress. Did that get easier with, as you got more experience in those situations or was that underlying level of fear and stress always there, but you were just able to handle it better? I, I think the fear was always there. You know, I've had people ask me, you know, were you ever afraid as a cop? And my response has always been, you know, any cop who tells you they're not afraid from time to time is either lying to you or an idiot, you know, fear, yeah. 
keeps us alive. I mean, there's a, there's a great book by a guy by the name of Gavin De Becker called The Gift of Fear. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was scared a lot of times, but you know, when the hair on the back of your neck goes up, it's it goes up for a reason, and you need to pay attention to that. And those those cops that are kind of you know, oh hey, nothing's ever going to happen to me. I'll tell you, I've been to way too many police funerals because of that attitude. And I imagine that that those experiences helped you in business too. You know, just raised your threshold for what you can handle. They have, and and I think being a a hostage negotiator on the SWAT team, you know, you you learn the importance of listening and and not just listening to respond, but listening to understand. And and you also have to be very cognizant of silence. You know, when we're negotiating with somebody, we want them to talk. You know, we always, you know, oh, you, you talk the guy out. What we really did is we listened the guy out. You know, we let them talk, burn off that emotional energy so that they could get to a point where they're thinking rationally, because you're going to make a whole lot better decisions when you're using your rational brain as opposed to your emotional brain. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's great advice. I feel like my, uh, if I think back to like like my agency, Valentine, and my dad's retired now, um, but he was there for a while. And and uh, he used silence. Like, he, you know, he, he would come in to ask you a question and then he would just be silent. And then before you know it, you're just like blurting your life out, you know, and uh, he used it very effectively. You know, I don't know if he, if it was, if he was aware of it or not, but he would definitely use silence a lot to get you talking, you know. And it's a great tool for a salesperson, you know, for, for those yeah. salespeople that, you know, kind of lay it out there and then just be quiet. And, and then the other person wants to talk and, you know, they give you a lot more information than I think they planned on giving you. Yeah, yep, yep. Been in that situation a bunch of times. All right, Terry. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about your morning routine. What are your what are your mornings look like? So my mornings now are I, I am uh, in all honesty probably coming to the end of my life. 2020, I had my left leg amputated because of my cancer, and, and I have tumors in my lungs now, and I'm undergoing a clinical trial for those. But that's one week, and then I have two weeks off to kind of heal and regroup and and go at it again. One of the things I do every morning, and sometimes I do it all at once, sometimes I have to break it up, is I pray. I spend about an hour every morning in prayer, uh, both for myself. I'm not going to lie. I, you know, I ask for a miracle every day, but I've met so many people that have asked me to pray for them along this cancer journey. So that's a big thing that I do. Uh, I have a blog called Motivational Check, and every morning, I put up a, a, a thought for the day. And on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a video or a story that's a little, a little longer. But with that thought for the day comes a question to get people to think, how could this thought maybe impact your life during the next 24 hours? So I, those, are, those are my two big things. I also spend uh, what I eat has become very important. Being a cancer patient, I try to stay away from sugar I have a kind of a fruit and vegetable smoothie every morning uh, that I could spend the next hour telling you everything that's in it. But needless to say, it, it kind of gives me the energy I need without a lot of the, the chemicals and the sugars and things like that. So those are kind of my three go-to things every morning. You mentioned that you've, um, you're going through cancer and um, you feel like you're, you're near the end of your life. Like, how, be like sorry, I'm stumbling on this question, but how do you keep, like we were doing a video before this and you seem so upbeat and so positive. And like, how do you feed that? Like, where does that come from? I think a couple things. One, I, I think I found my purpose in life and lived it. 
And because of that, it's death is not so scary. There, there's an old Native American Blackfoot proverb that I hold uh, that I heard years ago that goes like this. It said, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. And that's that's kind of where I am. I, I, I don't uh, you know, one of the things being involved in team sports you know, since I was nine years old and all the way up through college, was I realized the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And, you know, you, you realize in a team that if you don't do your job, you know, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So I'm on a clinical trial drug now that probably won't save my life but very well may save somebody's life five years or 10 years from now based on the data that the doctors are, are gathering for me. So I kind of look at that as, well, may not save my life, but that's part of being something that, that's bigger than yourself in helping somebody that you may never meet. Yeah, amazing, amazing attitude. I want to talk about habits. I know you have the, the four truths that you live by. So I definitely want my audience to hear that. I think, I think it'll be very impactful. So I would love for you to share that, Terry. Sure. So uh, these are these are four things. I, I kind of call them the, the the bedrock of my soul. They're they're things that I can build my life on, and and I use them to make decisions in my life. Should I get involved in this therapy? Should I, you know, do this project and things like that? And I have them sitting on my desk, and I think that's another important thing. If you have something in life that you want to do, write it down. I mean, don't type it out. Write it down. Physically write it down and put it places where you're going to see it throughout the day on your bathroom mirror on your desk. And so I have this post-it note that I see every day, multiple times during the day with these four truths. And here they are. So the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. You know, I think back when, when I had three knee surgeries in high school and I went back playing and my brain started putting all this garbage, you know, in my thoughts, like, Hey, you know, because you've had these surgeries, you're probably a step slower or college coaches aren't going to want to recruit you because of these surgeries. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I'm still playing in an elite level and I'm still being contacted by coaches. So when, when that garbage comes in, you need to change that narrative into something positive. So that's the first one. The second one is you need, you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Look, we're, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain or you know, an amputation like mine. You could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you know, not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take it and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and have others feel sorry for you? You know, we want to run from pain, but I'm suggesting just the opposite. What if you took that pain and you flipped it inside and you burned it as fuel or you used it as energy to make you a better individual? So that's number two. Number three is more of a legacy truth, because uh, I think it's important for all of us, regardless of what stage we are in our life, to think about the end game. And, and this is the third one. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. You know, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? You know, how do you want to be remembered? So I, I think it's important for us. I'm not telling you to live somebody else's life. You have to live a life that's 
true to yourself, but think about what other people are going to say about you when you're gone. So that's number three. And then number four is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, you know, someday my pain is going to end. You know, it may end through medication. It may end through surgery. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, pain will always be a part of my life. I don't know if this is too, too personal of a question, but what's, what's your legacy? I think my legacy right now certainly is, is my family, my daughter. And then to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can with whatever time I have left. Yeah, you're doing that now. I mean, people, people are listening to you now doing this interview and just those four truths, mindset, embrace pain, legacy, and don't quit. That's very, very powerful. I'm glad you shared it. So I've got one last question for you, Terry. I do want to wrap up though with you telling everyone how they can learn more about you, uh, maybe a website to visit. Um, you said you have, you have the blog, so whatever you want to share. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about mindset because just thinking about your career and you mentioned cancer and amputation and, and negotiation and the, the different uh, roles that you played. Obviously, you've got a very strong, strong mindset and you're a strong person. So I would like to extract some tips around that or some habits you have around that to build that. Because obviously, that doesn't come natural. You must, you must have built that over, over uh, just experience and years. And I wonder if there's any tips or, or habits you can share around building a, a stronger mindset. I guess maybe I'll, I'll kind of answer that with, with, with a story. I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. I, you know, my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Wild Wild West and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and things like that when I was young. 1993, the movie Tombstone comes out. Huge movie. It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday. And uh, Kurt Russell played a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were two living, breathing human beings that walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much he was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt, his, his whole life had been a lawman of some sort. And these two men from entirely divergent backgrounds formed this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. And the real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium, and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt, at this point in his life, is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc, and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of looks at him nonchalantly and says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. Ryan, you and I know people out there that are just kind of sitting back and waiting. It's like, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that happens, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have a significant life. Well, I guess what I, how I would answer that question is, don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth, and live it. Because if you do, I'm going to promise you two things. One, at the end of your life, you're going to be a whole lot happier, and two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. And can't think of a can't think of a better way to end the uh, end the conversation than that story. Very powerful. 
Terry, people are going to want to learn, learn more about you and connect with you after, after listening to this. Where should they go? So basically the easiest way to do that is to go to my website, Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com. That's got access to my book. It's got access to my social media sites. You can leave me a note there if you want. So the best way to get a hold of me is motivationalcheck.com. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening to the Morning Upgrade Podcast. Please subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit us at morningupgrade.com for more content.